Hi, welcome to the Lancet Global Health podcast. My name is Nina Punis, and this month we are talking about vital but often unfortunately missing support for the mental health and well-being of refugees and displaced people. This topic, specifically for South Sudanese refugees in Uganda, is the topic of two articles in this month's Lancet Global Health issue, published today, the 22nd of January 2020. The first paper is original research by Vitsatol et al., who is on the phone with me today to discuss this important study, and the second paper is a linked comment by Charlotte Hannan and Mark Jordan. According to the UN Refugee Agency, in 2019 there were 70.8 million forcibly displaced people worldwide, generally due to conflict or persecution. These people may be internally displaced in their own country or be refugees in another. They frequently face insecure accommodation and environments, poor health and poor access to basic services, including health and care services, are at risk of further violence and instability, face uncertain futures, have experienced huge losses and frequently have endured serious violence themselves. This trauma, of course, has a significant negative impact on the mental health and well-being of these individuals. This increased risk is usually combined with poor or no access to mental health care or support. And this is not always a priority in severely resource-constrained settings with multiple competing and urgent health and basic needs. However, how to feasibly support the mental health of displaced peoples has been an increasingly important question for people living and working in this space. This is an important ethical and humanitarian question, but a challenging one due to these disrupted and underfunded health systems that often coincide with humanitarian crises that involve large movements of people. In their paper, Vitsatol and team use a cluster randomised trial methodology to assess the effectiveness of a facilitator-guided, group-based self-help intervention to reduce psychological distress in 694 female South Sudanese refugees living in 14 villages in a settlement in Uganda. This important study indicates that this intervention which is relatively low resource, scalable and potentially feasible in a range of situations, had a positive impact on levels of distress in the intervention group. Vitsa Toll, PhD, is an associate professor at the Department of Mental Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and director of the Peter C. Alderman Programme for Global Mental Health at HealthRight International, a non-governmental organisation. Vitsa, welcome and thank you so much for joining us here today. So, As I have just briefly outlined, the mental health and well-being of displaced people and refugees is a really important but complicated topic. With your study adding important knowledge to this, could you start us off by explaining the background and importance of this trial for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me. Yeah, as you said, there are over uh, 70 million refugees globally. Um, Many of these refugees live in situations of protracted displacement and as you also noted um, they are at risk for experiencing a whole range of adversities that uh, put them unfortunately at risk of adverse mental health outcomes. I think what's really uh, compounding this crisis is that most refugees are actually displaced to low and middle income countries where there are generally very few mental health resources available to, to manage these mental health concerns. 
um, I'm, I'm talking about specialized professionals like psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, etc. So, uh, there have been really innovative steps in trying to make um, care more available uh, in these kinds of situations. For example, by training non-specialists to provide mental health supports. But there's still a very big gap, I would say, between research and practice in the sense that there is good evidence for interventions that are actually quite hard to implement in real-life settings. Interventions, even if they are so-called task-shifted, uh, often need um, detailed training and ongoing supervision. Uh, they tend to focus on specific mental health concerns, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder or depression. And they often reach relatively few people because they are done with individuals or small groups of people. And in response to that massive need, the World Health Organization developed an intervention that has potential to be brought to scale in these kinds of low-resource, hard-to-access humanitarian settings. That's based on, uh, on guided self-help. Um, guided self-help is a little different than uh, unguided self-help. Um, in guided self-help, there's the opportunity to check in with uh, with someone, as opposed to unguided self-help, where you're really uh, often going through material material on your own. And um, and meta-analyses show that guided self-help can actually be as effective as therapist-delivered intervention. So with that as the the basis, um, the WHO developed this intervention. It's um, it's based on pre-recorded audio material that can be played by uh, by trainers uh, by facilitators that um, have received relatively little training and it comes with a uh, with a self-help book that has drawings images uh, that uh, that summarized some of the key content and what i think is exciting about this intervention uh, it's called self-help plus or sh plus is yeah, that it really further reduces the uh, burden on people facilitating mental health support and that it can be delivered to larger groups of people. In your study, your intervention focuses specifically on women in this setting. Could you perhaps explain to us why this is and why this is important? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, there are a couple of reasons um, for that. Uh, first of all, women are, of course, uh, particularly impacted by armed conflict. Um, that's also the case in the South Sudanese conflict. Women often experienced sexual and other forms of gender-based violence that put them at particular risk of developing mental health concerns. Um, so they are women are an important group to support with effective interventions. Um, but second, we actually did pilot the intervention initially with, with both men and women. And that pilot showed that further adaptations were necessary to make the intervention attractive for male refugees. Uh, for example, drinking alcohol was a, seems to be a common way for men to cope with adversity uh, in this context and, I, and also in other contexts. Yeah, thirdly, uh, the population in Rhino Camp, where we did this study, is actually largely made up of, of women and children. So it seemed to be a good place to start. But, you know, that said, um, it is really important that we address men's refugee, male refugees' distress. And we are currently conducting a study that looks at further adapting and evaluating uh, self-help plus for male refugees in the, uh, in the same context. agree that's really important and I can't wait to see that study too. You mentioned other contexts. So 
while there may of course be similarities between different refugee or displaced populations and certainly as we've already mentioned there may be some similar needs and gaps in terms of mental health support there are of course also a lot of differences not only across gender but also culturally socially different life experiences different regions different languages your study looks at one specific group how do you think this is generalizable or what importance do you think this has to wider refugees populations across the world mm. yeah i think it's a really important question um but i also think it's quite hard to say at the moment uh, this is the first study of this intervention uh, research is actually ongoing uh, led by the university of verona uh, in, with refugees in several european countries um, evaluating self-help plus and uh, yeah that study will be very helpful to know how applicable the intervention may be to refugees in other settings um, yeah we I think we do hope that key elements that the kind of basic ingredients of the intervention have wide applicability but of course adapting the intervention in different social cultural contexts will remain very important that that goes for I would say all psychosocial and psychological interventions in um, in different cultural contexts. In, in thinking about generalizability a bit, um, thinking about generalizability a bit, there are of course some similarities um, between the group of refugees that were in this study and refugee contexts elsewhere. Um, the South Sudanese refugee context is unfortunately looking like a protracted refugee situation, which is a common occurrence. And many of the refugees had unmet basic needs for services, for basic services like livelihoods, opportunities, access to medical care, uh, education, and other basic needs. And another similarity, I think, with other refugee contexts is that uh, an initial needs assessment we conducted showed that uh, something referred to as overthinking was a critical concern. To the refugee population and research in a variety of contexts has shown that thinking too much is uh, is often an important concern a way that psychological distress is expressed so some so those are some of the similarities between the context where we worked and um, where we work and other re refugee contexts but some differences are also that uh, uganda uh, actually has a really generous refugee policy where refugees are admitted um, quite easily and are allotted a plot of land and are allowed to work and, and move around, which is not always the case in other refugee contexts. It is, it is of course, also a particular sociocultural context. There's a lot of variation within the South Sudanese population. And, yeah, of course, a um, unique conflict history as well that sets this um, context apart from others. So if I may, if I could just turn away from the content briefly and turn to methodology. So this, your study uses a cluster randomized trial method, which is notoriously difficult in contexts such as this, so refugee settlements. However, it is, of course, really important to obtaining robust results. Could you briefly talk to how you manage this? Yeah, so I, I would definitely agree that um, the cluster randomized trial is a, is a challenging type of study to implement. I really have to give credit to the, the health right team in Arua, led by Mark Saleku and Dr. Alex Adaku from the Arua Regional Referral Hospital. 
Um, as a team, they've really shown great skill in organizing a very enthusiastic team of facilitators and researchers. The team has shown great persistence and grit in uh, what were at times really challenging circumstances. They were supported well by, um, by the team in Kampala, HealthRight, and of course the international team from a variety of, uh, of partners. I think uh, an important uh, ingredient for success is um, to carefully pilot the research procedures. So this randomized trial is actually the last phase in um, a longer research uh, study where we carefully piloted uh, the intervention first through an initial pilot run and then conducted a full feasibility trial in which we implemented the exact same research procedures and intervention procedures, but with a much smaller group of people, just to check how in this particular context we could, um, if we could actually feasibly pull off this, uh, this complex study. That said, you know, with all the piloting and, and having a strong team in place, unexpected events uh, are unfortunately likely to still happen. Um, there are just risks with these kinds of studies, and we are very grateful to the donor Research for Health and Humanitarian Crises, or R2HC, for the, the flexibility that they've shown us when we did experience delays. This study, with all of that methodology and in itself, is clearly an important step to understanding how mental health care can be made accessible and feasible in such challenging settings. What do you see, though, as the ongoing challenges or, or perhaps solutions for good mental health care and support in these groups? I think one major challenge that remains is how we can actually scale up Self-Help Plus. And I think that goes for other interventions that have been tested in trials. We, we've we now tested SH Plus in a, in a control trial setting, but I think it will be really important to understand how an intervention like this can function when you try to provide it to thousands of people. For example, in terms of quality control or referral mechanisms or types of facilitators, etc. Um, I also think it's important to um, understand how we can sustain the benefits, the, the effect sizes of the intervention. Benefits went down, they reduced over time. Um, and that is the same for, um, we've, we've seen in a meta-analysis of psychological interventions in low-resource humanitarian settings, that that is the case uh, if you summarize the effects for various psychological interventions. And I think that's a really critical question to answer. Um, why do benefits go down over time? Um, is that because people continue to experience uh, adversity? And would it, for example, be helpful to integrate SH Plus into humanitarian efforts across different sectors that try to reduce that adversity? For example, protection programming or, or poverty-focused programming? Or should we think uh, also, or more of booster sessions um, or other ways of sustaining the benefits. Um, in addition, I think it's yeah there are challenges also on the more severe end of the, the spectrum. We've seen the study that for many people, self-help plus is not enough. Seems to have promise as a first-line intervention, um, but it's important to see how something like SH plus can function as part of a, for example, a stepped care model where there are further intervention steps for people that continue to experience distress. 
And of course, also on, on the more severe mental disorder side, for example, for people with psychosis or, or bipolar disorder, or where there's um, alcohol dependence, that those kinds of problems have not received as much attention in humanitarian mental health and psychosocial support care. And um, it would be great if we knew more about knew more about what effective options are available to manage those problems. Overall, I think the field has come a long way. There's uh, there's quite a lot of evidence, also compared to other humanitarian uh, health fields and other humanitarian interventions. But there are still important gaps. And uh, yeah, what's what's challenging is that mental health is a broad and very diverse area. So. From the beginning there, we knew that there would be a lot of work in different areas. Absolutely. And really linked to that question, but perhaps a little bit broader now, for our final question to you, what, what would you like to see in general for these populations coming into this new decade? I think overall it's going to be really important to see mental health um, continue to get more attention. Um, mental health is an emerging area of humanitarian practice, um, but it still definitely does not get the attention it deserves. Uh, I hope that uh, it will continue to get more attention, both in research and in practice. Within the mental health and psychosocial support field, I, I would say that from a public health point of view, I would really like to see more of a focus on prevention in addition to the focus on treatment that has been um, the more common focus so far. For example, I would like it if we would not only view mental health as a set of disorders that requires treatment. Uh, I definitely feel that that is important, treatment for disorders. But I would hope that we can add a complementary focus on trying to understand how we can give, for example, people at a larger scale skills that they can use to cope with adversity, how we can strengthen protective factors like social support and also more upstream how we can reduce risk factors like intimate partner violence and, and poverty and social marginalization more broadly, uh, factors that we know are important in, um, in causing mental health concerns to arise. So overall focus on prevention I think would be really beneficial. And yeah, well, in that respect, I think broadly it would be wonderful if, if really every major humanitarian organization and, and responding government develops the skill set to provide mental health services as part of their, their various humanitarian assistance across different sectors. And I'm saying it also because what you often see is that mental health interacts with other kinds of needs in, in downward spirals or in, in vicious cycles. For example, in the case of poverty, we've seen that poverty is a major risk factor for mental health, but that once you develop mental health concerns, that that makes it harder to escape poverty or becomes a risk factor for poverty in its own right. And we're starting to see something similar with intimate partner violence in mental health. And, and when things are related to each other in these kinds of vicious cycles, I, I think it's really critical that there is more multi-sectoral integrated care as opposed to the often fragmented care that we see now. I think there's increasingly the realization that mental health plays an important role in how disadvantages are socially institutionalized and, and marginalize whole population groups, for example, women. And, and from a social justice perspective, I think that 
addressing mental health as, as part of humanitarian services more broadly is a really important way of breaking uh, these kinds of vicious cycles, these kinds of interlocking patterns of disadvantage that, that really affect large groups of people. Some really, really important points to end on there and points that I hope I've really listened to very broadly. Um, Vitsa, thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for the research. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. No problem. And listeners, if you'd like to know more about this topic, please do check out this research and its linked comment available now, The Lancet Global Health Online.